you are a student, you are dismissed to go with Miss Francis or Miss Ivy and Mr. Nick. I'm not sure uh, all of those that need to go out with that motley crew, but uh, God bless you. Uh, welcome. I'm glad you're here today. I greet you in the name of my Savior. Um, Chris, Justin, Zach, Sean, everybody, Matt, thank y'all. That was great. Just great. What a blessing. Um, let, me, let me add to what Tommy said just real quickly about, uh, in the announcements. Two things that are important to me for you to, to know about. Uh, number one, next Sunday night, 6 o'clock, Kim and Jerry's house. We're having our yearly Christmas party. And it's always just fun. And it's lots of great food. And... Um, I think you'll have a great time if you'll come and join us. Just come. That's all. We just want you to come and bring your children. They've got special things planned for the kids, and uh, they will have a good time too. Invite some of your friends, maybe that don't go to church, and um, you know, maybe this will be just a chance for them to. I don't know whether they'll leave thinking better of Christians or worse, but uh, they'll think about us. Okay, so uh, please and please come uh, next uh, Sunday night, six o'clock. Not tonight. A week from tonight. Second thing is, um, we have finalized our 2019 budget. Have worked, Terry, uh, who lead our finance committee, um, have worked tirelessly to put this thing together. And uh, the uh, leadership team of our church that sort of oversees the, the, our church and oversees me, God help them, um, they have evaluated it and approved it. And so next Sunday, right after church, right here, um, we'll have a, a brief meeting for anyone that wants to stay and that has interest in looking at the budget, hearing about the budget, asking questions about the budget. Uh, we don't have any, there's nothing hidden, there's nothing surprising, there's no, there's nothing... <laughs> Uh, it's, our budget is very simple and streamlined, but there are people that have interest in knowing more. And so if you would like to stay after the service, it will not be during the service, but after the service for a brief meeting, I'll be there and then Alan and Terry will be there and uh, we'll give you a copy of the budget. And if you'd like to stay and learn more about that, the budget that we'll be operating by or with for 2019, I'd like for you to do that. Okay. Um... Kim, anything we need to know about the Christmas party that I didn't say? Okay. Okay, I, I do too. I hope everybody will come too. Um, let, me, let me read to you a passage of Scripture. This is related to the... In fact, all four Sundays between now and Christmas, we'll be having special messages, lessons, uh, dealing with the Christmas story. And so I hope you'll come and be a part of those. I'm, I'm very excited about it. Today I'm going to focus just for a minute on the wise men. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, I'm, reading, I'm sorry, I'm reading out of Matthew chapter 2. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, 
he, re- he inquired of them where the Messiah, where the anointed one, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That was a prophecy in the Old Testament that said that the the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. That's the whole point of that. Uh, from the fa- and more specifically, from the family of David. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for this child. And when you have found him, bring me word and I, that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, Jesus is no longer in the, in the uh, barn, if you will, in the manger. They, this is months later, six months later, or, or well, let me say a number of months later, And so they've moved into a little house in Bethlehem that Joseph is renting. And uh, since when they saw the star, they rejoiced uh, with great joy. And and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Um, I start my December uh, every year rereading the Christmas story and um, uh, just to get in the Christmas spirit (laughs) to get my mind uh, straight on who's supposed to be the center of this month and this attention, this celebration, this uh, just the whole thing. How How can I get Jesus to be in the middle of this versus all the competing players in the Christmas Season who would love to be center stage, uh, it, and it's it, it's not a, uh, it is a, 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 an endeavor to put Jesus first and keep him first during the month of December. It is an endeavor that is not for the faint of heart. I'm just telling you because it is easy. I am driven. I am con- I am a passionate, consumed, focused person. And when I when my wife gives me <laughs> task. Uh, to accomplish, don't get in between me and the completion of the task. And so I can easily jettison <laughs> the one that should be right in the middle of the, of the deal. Um, so anyway, one of the things that when I read the Christmas story at the beginning of the month every year, my mind always goes back to one of the most wonderful times in my life. Uh, when my wife and my daughter and I, we went as missionaries to Belgium in Western Europe uh, for four years. And it was, when I tell you, it was wonderful. Now, everybody in my family was mad at me, hated my guts. Uh, but anyway, I couldn't help that. Uh, we had, the three of us had a great time. And uh, for one thing, we celebrated Christmas, just the three of us. And no offense to my family because I love gathering with them and we have a great time and it's fun. But it was just four Christmases 
we just celebrated Christmas, just the three of us. And it was so simple and Rainy was little and it was just, it was lovely. And so I always go back and reflect on, on that time that we were together living in, in Belgium. And um, one of the things that I, w- I always think about is that we lived on a street that uh, literally was so old that the Roman legions marched down our street 1,500 years ago. The Roman Legion. And we lived in a house that was built before our country became a country. So it, we, it was an old, old city, Antwerp. And it was, an, it was the oldest part of Antwerp where we lived. And uh, we lived right in the middle of, the, of this booming district of restaurants. And I've told you about Cafe Bavern and all that. And uh, every, uh, we, were, we were one of the only... Uh, people that had a house, a little row house on this street. Everybody else, everything else, literally, as far as you could see, were restaurants and bars and shops and all kind of things. And then other people lived on the street, but they lived above all these shops. Eric, my brother-in-law, was, had visited and um, he saw this. But anyway, uh, the first Christmas that we were there... This old house had these huge, had windows about the side door and one on the other, about the side of those squares, the bigger squares. Uh, it had one on one side of the front door and one on the other, about the size of those two windows right there. And I got, there, would be, there was a guy named Boss, B-A-A-S, Boss. And he was a painter, Colin, he was a painter. But to make money, because you starved to death being a painter, uh, uh, to make money, he would go up and down our street and he would paint like bubble letters and bubble people and like to promote Christmas sales. You know, come and eat here, Christmas special food, and come into my shop, Christmas special sales. And, you know, and they would draw funny Santa Clauses and Christmas trees and wreaths and all, snowmen and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Well, he was outside painting these, you know, I don't know what he charged everybody else, but... uh I knew the fellow. I'd gotten to be friends with him a little bit. And so I walked out and just it hit me. I said, boss, I want you to write on my, uh, on one window, I want you to put a, a, a cross. And I want you to, uh, I'm sorry, I said, I want you to do a manger. And then uh, a manger scene. And then I want you to put. I had him do a little cross, sort of blended into the thing. And on the other side, I want you to write, um, Wazamana Nokstades Ophut Zukanahim. Now what that means is, wise men still seek him. That's what that means. And um, he looked at me like I told him to throw a rock through my window. And he says, you want me to do what? And I said, I want you to write that on my window. He said, well, okay. And I don't know what he charged me to do it. But the entire month of December, we continually had people knocking on the door. What's that mean? What's this about? And, and, and I don't even know why I thought of doing it. I'd like to say I, that the Holy Spirit told me to do it. And maybe he did. But nonetheless... We continually had people knocking on the door, wanting to, to, to chat with me and explain 
why wise men still seek this little, this person that was a baby born in a manger. And uh, so then it was such a big hit. And all my neighbors, you know, thought that was the most amazing thing in the world. And so then I did it the next four years or the next three Christmases after that. Um, And I was just thinking about the wise men uh, and what it must have looked like and felt like for them to travel from Persia. Surely I was telling them about boss painting that uh, the wise man of Nokstades up zooking him. And yeah. <laughs> and um, what that must have really been like for those men. We don't know how many it was. We say three because they got, there was three different kinds of gifts, but it could have been, it was at least, it was plural. So at least it was two and it could have been 50 or a hundred. We don't, we don't know. We don't know how big an entourage it was. It could have been a very, very big, so it could have been so big. And one of the reasons we think it might've been a big entourage is because all, it says all of Jerusalem was bothered or, or, or disturbed because of this. So it was, and again, this king was bothered. So for three dudes, you know, to walk in, hey, we're looking, and he probably wouldn't even have noticed that. So anyway, I just was thinking about those, those wise men, these magi, who, from what we know, they were the descendants probably of Daniel. Uh, hundreds of years earlier, um, Daniel would have been a part of that group. And, and those, over the years, they, the, they were called Magi. And um, they would have been a part of the elite group of the Persian Empire. They would have been wealthy. They would have been powerful. They would have been, had uh, 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 high reputations. They would have been honored men. They would have been. They would have walked in circles where their reputation was important. Where where what people thought of them, their peers, the king, uh, uh, it would have been a big deal to them. And so I was just thinking about how they had heard over hundreds of years, sky probably from Daniel, that there was going to be a star that's going to appear in the sky one day. We don't know what else other than that. When you see this unusual star, when you see this unusual thing in the sky, it's a big deal. Go follow it and it will lead you to a king. That's all we know that they know. That's all it says. That's all the text says. But for these men, these wealthy, powerful, influential, significant players in society type people, you know, can you imagine them going to their superiors or maybe even to the king and saying, saying that? Hey, we had these prophecies from this Jewish slave dude. Uh, about this star and when it was passed down for hundreds and hundreds of years and when it said when we see this star we're supposed to go follow it and it will lead us to a king. Can you, 
Think about saying that, David, to Mr. Smith. So think about saying that to the president of your company. Think of saying that to your mate. It's a thousand miles from Persia to Bethlehem. Okay? Thousand miles. Took, took three months. So it was a six-month, minimum six-month journey. Three months one way, three months the other way. Minimum of six months. We don't know, you know if they, if they st- stayed for a little while. We don't know any of that. But my point is, I got a honey. <laughs> can you, Anna, can you imagine Justin telling you, honey, I'm going to be gone for six months. Where are you going? Well, explain that whole thing to you. Uh, you're going to have to watch the kids. Uh, I'll be back in six months. What have you told your boss? Yeah. Uh, don't you think you might be risking your job, your reputation, if nothing else? I mean, I just was thinking about the cost and the sacrifice that these men willingly paid and made to go and find this king. Um, the time, the, 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 it was a dangerous journey. It would have been a fearful journey. Uh, the effort, the expense, the sacrifice, the cost of their families. It must have been very humbling um, to try to explain this to people who didn't understand or believe. Um, it must have been very humbling to risk your job, to risk your reputation, the, to risk being rejected or mocked or misunderstood by your peers or your superiors. It must have been very humbling um, for these men, these, these, these very prominent, powerful, prestigious, successful men in the Persian Empire. And yet, these magi, these uh, uh, wise men, not wise amana, these wise men, they humbled themselves and pursued this king. They sought out, pursued this king. And because they were willing to humble themselves and pursue this king, they experienced, well, can you imagine? Being in Bethlehem with Jesus. I mean, top that. Top of, give me an experience that would top that. They experienced the grace and the intimacy with God Himself. Not to say, that, not the least of which, that they were a part of God's provision for Mary and Joseph to be able to flee to Egypt uh, not too long after this. And uh, their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh or the very provision that God used so that they could go to, to Egypt. Um, just I was just thinking about the idea of these men humbling themselves and them pursuing God, seeking after God. And I was just my mind began to think about just person after person after person in the Bible who ex. Uh, Uh, displayed or illustrated the same kind of an attitude, a willingness to humble themselves 
and a willingness to seek after God, to pursue God, to draw near to God, no matter what it cost, no matter what it took. And as a result of them doing that, they experience with God an understanding of God, a, a depth with God, a knowledge of God, a relationship with God, and, not to say the least, the blessings of God that flowed out of that depth and that intimacy and that knowledge. They just, their lives were, for, were filled with God's blessings. I think of Abraham. Abraham's minding his own business, walking down the road, herding sheep, doing whatever he's doing. We've got a big family. And God says, Abraham, I, I, I am God Almighty. I've chosen you. I love you. I'd like to have a relationship with you. And man, have I got big plans for you. You, you cannot believe the plans I've got that I'd like to invite you to join me in. For him to go to his family and to have the same conversation that the wise men had. How humbling or humiliating, maybe I should say. And yet Abraham said, God, I want to get in on that. I'll follow you to a land that I've never been to before. Because that's where you're going to be. And I want to be where you are. I think of, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Mary and Martha. Jesus comes and stays at Mary and Martha's house and, uh, uh, to spend the night. And uh, Jesus is in the living room teaching, surrounded by people. And Martha is in the kitchen uh, cooking and preparing and doing everything that you got to do to have a big party and keep your guests happy. And Mary chose to draw near and sit at Jesus' feet and listen, to be close to him, to hear what he was saying. And it was a very humiliating, a very humbling thing for Mary to do that. Mary had to suffer the, the ire of her sister. Her sister was furious with her. Um, the, the public rebuke that Martha gave to Mary when, when she spoke, she didn't, wouldn't even speak to Mary. She spoke to Jesus, but she was rebuking Mary. Uh, and everybody in that room, family, friends, neighbors, disciples, they all thought the same thing. You should be in the kitchen with your sister. This is not right. You're, they, they, they thought badly of her, her because Mary chose to humble herself and draw near to where Jesus was and listen to him. I think of the prodigal son. Exact same thing. Prodigal son is in uh, some faraway place eating pig food and he'd made all these big statements and made all these big plans and made all these big declarations. Well, I'm going to do this and see the world, blah, blah, blah. And it all didn't turn out the way he had planned. And he said, uh, he said to himself, I'm going to go back home and be with my dad. My, I know where my dad lives and I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to draw near to where my dad is. I'm going to go back home and I'm going to engage in a relationship with my dad again. I'm going to humble myself and draw near to where my dad is. And as a result of him doing that, 
He experienced an intimacy. He experienced a level of grace. You know, the dad says, oh my gosh, my son's home. He was dead, now he's alive. He was lost, now he's found. Quick, get a robe, get a ring, get new shoes. We're having a party. Now, the other son, was it, the party would have been just as easily for the other son. But the other son missed the party because he wouldn't humble himself. He's out in the fields mad, all bowed up, full of pride. He wouldn't humble himself and he wouldn't draw near. Busy doing good stuff. Busy, 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 older brother. But he wouldn't humble himself and draw near and he missed the party. I think of Bartimaeus saying, you know, it's blind, uh, sitting on the street corner uh, on the curb, uh, wrapped in his coat. And uh, 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 Jesus comes by. and he, Jesus, I, wa- I want to be where you are. I want, I, and Bar- the people are saying, shh, shh, be quiet. Leave him alone. Stop. Bartimaeus doesn't care what the crowd thinks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humble myself. I'm not going to act like I see. I'm not going to pretend that I can see. I can't see. I'm in desperate need. I need help. That's what a humble person does. And he ran. He threw his coat down, which was a bad plan for a blind man in cold weather. He threw his coat down and he ran uh, uh, to where Jesus was. And as a result, he experienced intimacy and grace from Jesus that others missed. Um, you see where I'm, those of you that know the Bible just even a little bit, you know where I'm going. I just, in my devotions a couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I guess maybe it was last week, I was just reading this passage out of James chapter 4, where James says in James 4, 6 through 8, God gives more grace. Very significant. God gives more grace. Well, you can't have more you can't have more mashed potatoes until you've already had some mashed potatoes, right? If I said, Chuck, I'd like more mashed potatoes, well, your first response would be, Well, I ain't giving you any mashed potatoes, right? But if I if you'd given me a big plate of mashed potatoes, and you could do that if you'd like after church, um, if you gave me a big plate of mashed potatoes and I in, in my plate's empty, you said, Larry, would you like more mashed potatoes? Hmm, that makes sense. James says, God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. This the devil, and he'll flee from you. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I'd never, I'd n- never hit me like it did Last week or whenever I read this in my daily devotions. That James is revealing to us. That those of us. Who have experienced God's grace. We have experienced an invasion of the presence and the person of God into our lives as our Savior. God has more of that. God, God has more grace for those that have experienced His grace. God has a, 
a, a, a more, forgive, Shirley, forgive my English, God has more of a nearness for people who already have been drawn near to God. James says there's more grace. There is a nearness that God wants to make available to us. And I, 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 I'm not going to take a long time here. I just wanted to say to you. Number one, do you know that? It never hit me until I read this just the other week or so ago. That those that have experienced God's grace, God wants to give us more grace. And those that have experienced intimacy with God, nearness to God, God says, oh my goodness, I want to give you deeper nearness. Even, I'm right here, but I want the difference in uh, hugging your aunt and hugging your wife. Okay, I'll hug my, I'll hug my aunts. Uh, that's fine, but I love hugging my wife. That is another level of intimacy. I love hugging my wife. I love, I'll hug all of y'all's children. I really will. I'll, I'll, I'll hug Cash, uh, Bryce, any, any day of the week. But hugging Teddy is a whole other thing. I want to hug him so hard that I'm scared I'm going to hurt him. That's what I thought of. Those that have experienced grace, God wants to give us more grace. Those of us that have experienced a nearness to God, God wants to give us more of a nearness. Will you get a better Christmas gift? Is there anything on your list that you could possibly receive for Christmas this year that would possibly compare to being given more of God's grace. Could you get a better gift than being this close to a friend, somebody that you've developed a deep friendship with, but all of a sudden that relationship is transformed into the kind of relationship you want to have with your bride or your mate or with your grandchildren? Oh my gosh. Could you possibly get a better gift than that? It's very important that you hear what I'm, the next two things I'm going to say. Because I don't want you to leave here confused. This more grace, this, this more, they are not unconditional. Did you hear that? This more grace, according to James, if you don't like what I'm saying... Talk, talk, to it, talk to the Lord's brother about it because he wrote it, okay? This more grace, this deeper intimacy, they're not unconditional. They are conditional. There's a condition that you and I must meet to experience these things. He says, God gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, Submit yourself or hum, same word, humble yourself before the Lord. And then he says, You draw near to me, Patty, and when you do, I will draw near to you. There is a humbling condition 
and there's a drawing near condition that I must meet. And God promises to respond to the humility with grace and to the drawing near by drawing near to us. You might say, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. Okay? Let's see what first let's see what old Peter, Simon Peter says in 1 Peter 1. God's Spirit made you holy via the blood of Jesus. May God give you more and more grace. Peter says, I'm not sure y'all got that. So I'm going to write 2 Peter. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, May God's grace and peace be yours in abundance through your knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you hear? May you experience God's grace in abundance. That To me, I read that as, I've given you grace. You've experienced grace, Gail. But I, I want you to have an abundance. The implication is, there's more available. I've given you grace. But oh, there's an abundance that I want you to experience. And then, uh, uh, in, uh, again in 2 Peter, Peter says it one more time. Don't fall from your secure position, but grow in Christ's grace and knowledge. I can actually grow in it. I can develop it. I can experience God's grace in deeper ways. I think the, the, the point, the message that I want you to hear today is simple. We can experience a deeper level of God's grace, a grander abundance of God's grace, however you want to say that, and we can develop a deeper intimacy with God like we've never experienced before if we are willing to do something. And what he says we have to do, we've got to draw near and we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to fight our pride. We've got to fight our pride. That's what James is saying. What keeps us from experiencing God's nearness, what keeps us from experiencing God's grace, is our pride, our independence, our I can take care of myself. I don't need anybody's help. I can live, I can make my life work. And James is saying... God wants to help you. God wants to bless you. God wants to give you a new abundance of His grace and His intimacy. But you've got to humble yourself. You've got to fight your pride. And you've got to cherish God's nearness more than you cherish other things. I want to stop and say something. Make sure y'all are with me. One of the fundamental foundational beliefs of this church. If you're wondering, I wonder what C3 believes. We have no core values that are more important than our core value. That God's love, God's eternal life, God's salvation, the the, the new birth, the gift of the new birth that God offers to people. Whatever words you want to use. God's forgiveness. God's love. 
That is offered to every one of us as an absolutely free and unconditional gift. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel. My justification, my being given a new relationship with God, that is based upon the worth and the work of Jesus, not upon my worth or my work. I cannot be good enough. I cannot do enough good things to earn God's favor, God's love, God's salvation, God's forgiveness. My eternal life, and I would suggest your eternal life too, is solely based upon God's love and the work that His Son accomplished when He died on the cross. Ephesians 2 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He goes on in Ephesians 2 to say, You who once were far away have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. Paul says in Romans 5, While we were yet God's enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of God's Son. And then 1 Peter chapter 3 says, Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? That He might bring us to God. We were alienated from God because of our independence, our selfishness, our pride, our wickedness. We had no relationship. And Jesus came and was born and lived and died and rose again. Why? So that we who were distant from God could be brought into relationship with God. Jesus suffered and died so that we can draw near to God. But folks, that's just the beginning. That's the whole point today. That is just the beginning of the story. We make it like it's a, um, here's my eternal life. Would you, would you like, Shelby, would you like eternal life? Do you know God loves you? He sent His Son to die on the cross for you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to be your friend. Would you like God's eternal life? I sure would, Brother Larry. I sure would. Pray this prayer. Blah, 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 blah. Here's my eternal life. Got it in my pocket. Bye. It's something that we receive. We stick it in our pocket or stick it in a drawer or stick it in a shelf along with our unread Bible, uh, by the way. And... uh, uh, just throw that in for free. And, uh, uh, and then we, we go on our merry way through life. We are bo- operating under the premise that we have received. Rather than that will help us when we die. Rather than understanding that what we've been given. The free gift of eternal life is a relationship. That God wants to begin with you and with me. And continue till we die. And he wants it to get deeper and more wonderful and more intimate every day until the day they plant us in the ground. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, He who began a good work in you, he wants to complete it. He's at work wanting to complete the work that he began. Listen to these verses. They all say the same thing. Deeper experiences of God's presence and grace are available to anyone who will humble themselves and draw near to God. 
like the wise men did. They humbled themselves and they sought out God. They drew near. Where is God? They didn't know it at the time they started. But when they finished the journey, where was God? In a little house, in a little unknown village, in a suburb of the city of Jerusalem. They humbled themselves and they drew near to where God was. And because they did, they experienced God's intimacy and they experienced God's grace. Listen to these verses and we're done. Psalm 32, God says, I will instruct you in the way you should go and I'll direct you with my loving eye. Have you ever thought, it's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I will instruct you in the way you should go and I will direct you with my loving eye. Do you know how close you've got to be to somebody for them to direct you with their eye? You, you know, remember your mama? When you'd be at the table with other people at the table and you're not acting right. And you're, we said, she gave me the look. What, what you are saying is, my mother directed me with her eye. She t- communicated clearly to me what I needed to do or not do just with her eye. Do you know you got to be pretty close to somebody? For that to work. Psalm 9. O oh Lord, you don't abandon those who search for you. Psalm 63. My soul follows hard after you. And your right hand holds me secure. Psalm 37. Wait patiently for God to act on your behalf. And we've talked so many times about that, that Hebrew idea of waiting on God. It's a farming term. It means two vines that an an older, stronger vine and a younger, weak vine. And the two vines are planted beside each other. And the older vine starts wrapping itself around the younger vine to hold it up. And the younger vine is wrapping itself around the older vine. And they grow together to become one larger vine producing that which will give joy and life to others. That's the whole idea of waiting on God. That's all. God wants us to be clinging to Him. Not because if we let go, we'll fall. But He wants us to be clinging to Him out of our joy in knowing that God is clinging to us. Psalm 119. Blessed are all who keep God's statutes and seek Him with all of their heart. Second Chronicles called by my, not if the world, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John 6, I am the bread of life. All who draw near to me will never go hungry. The quintessential, the best book in the Bible on this idea of us drawing near to God is the book of Hebrews. Seven different times the writer of Hebrews, which was the Apostle Paul, in case some of y'all are confused. But nonetheless, um, the writer of Hebrews, seven times he says, 
draw near to God. Hebrews 4 says, Let us with confidence draw near to God's throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. Hebrews 7, Christ is able to save completely those who draw near to God. Hebrews 10, since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us draw near into God's presence with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. In Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God because all who draw near to Him must believe that He exists and that He is the rewarder of those who earnestly Seek Him. Okay, I gotta go. Gotta stop. I don't have to go, but I gotta stop. We're about to enter into one of the most lovely, for me, delightful, wonderful seasons of the year. I love every, I love every bit of it from beginning to end. I love Christmas. I hope you do too. It's, it's glorious. It's also the busiest days of the, of the year. I just wanted us to start the month. And Lord willing, I wanted us to start the new year with a challenge. Number one, an understanding that those of us that know Jesus personally we have drawn, we, God has provided a way where we can draw near to Him and He has drawn us to Himself. God has provided grace when he, when he sent His Son to die on the cross and He has shared that grace with us. And He did it freely with no conditions, no strings, no expectation. It's a gift, Larry. I want to give it to you. But for those of us that would say, that describes me. I want us to be challenged today. I want us to leave here today with the understanding that God has more grace. More grace. Remember, man, I remember when my wife used to get, we were dating and uh, I wanted way more kisses than she was giving me. But she gave me some and they were great. But they were just barely enough. Okay? I, and there was a day when I got more kisses. And let me tell you something. You wonderful kisses is great. Bunches and bunches and bunches of those wonderful kisses is even better. God has given many of us grace. God wants to give all of us grace. God has provided a way where all of us can be drawn near to Him. Some of us have been drawn near to Him. But God wants us to be drawn near even, even more closely, even with more intimacy. I don't, we could spend weeks talking about the ways that we can draw near to God. They involve humbling myself. They involve humbling myself. And they involve being a, a choice to draw near. Draw near where? Where did the wise men go? They went to where God was. Where the, they, didn't want, they didn't go to Tunica, or they didn't go to Horn Lake, or they didn't go to, to uh, Zimbabwe, or they didn't go to London. They went 
to Bethlehem. Why did they go to Bethlehem? That's where God was. Oh, yeah, but Larry, the Bible says God's everywhere. Yes, He is. But I'm going to tell you something. In my life, at 4.30, every morning, there's a special place where God is. God was everywhere the night that Jesus was born, right? He was everywhere. But He was somewhere special, too. Now, I don't understand all that. You, if you do, send me an email. I'd like to know. I'm just telling you, God has a special place and a special, I hate to use the word, plan for each one of us to meet with Him. And when we humble ourselves and acknowledge, I need that. I want that. God, please share that with me. And then I pursue, I seek, I draw near. God, I think this is where you are. I want, I'm going I'm to go to where I think you are. And if that's not it, I believe you'll show me. But it probably will be. And when I'm there in that quietness with his word and in an attitude that he's there and that he's listening to me and he's wanting to speak to me, God will give you more grace and God will give you a deeper intimacy with Him. Okay. Um, uh, Chuck and Nancy, come up here and help me, please. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Jason Rawls, this looks so pretty. Jason made this all look so pretty for Christmas. And um, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. While I was doing all my studying in Hebrews this week, I found this verse. For by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who He is making holy. For by one sacrifice, Jesus is making holy those who he is already, he's, he's perfecting, sorry. Jesus is perfecting those that he's already made holy. He's already given you the gift of holiness. But he also is perfecting us. He's doing things in our lives to make that holiness visible. He is wanting, he placed it deep down inside us as a gift. But he is wanting that holiness, that righteousness, that image of God, that glory of God to be displayed. And that's what he's doing in our lives right now. By one sacrifice. By dying on the cross for our sins. So we believe that. And we rejoice in that. And we celebrate that. And we give thanks for that. And we gather and eat bread and drink wine as a way of just declaring the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus has been the means through which I've experienced God's grace and nearness. And I'm thankful for it. So if that is your testimony, your delight, your joy, your treasure, 
You come and you eat and you drink and you remember and you give thanks.